We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. entire podcast dedicated to the huge Arsenal signing news. Reese Nelson has a new deal. This is the Arsenal Vision Postmatch Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, Bachman, Twitter, Inky Gunner. Hello, everybody. Reese Nelson has a new deal. But you know what? Bukayo Saka does, too. And while we love Reese Nelson, and we are excited to talk about that, Bukayo Saka having a new deal is the bigger news. Arsenal has a new kit. And I have to say, Arsenal are pretty smart, it turns out. Because they knew they couldn't do a black away kit again. I, I don't think we're keeping that kit, unfortunately. It is one that I think people will uh, lovingly remember for years to come. But they sort of smuggled it in as the goalkeeper kit, didn't they? So I have a feeling the goalkeeper kit is going to be pretty, pretty popular this season. Uh, there are going to be a lot of Ramsdale fans this season. Um there's a lot to cover, actually. We've got the Bukayo news, of course. We've got the Reese Nelson news, of course. We can talk about the kit launch a bit. Probably do a short podcast today because there's not a ton going on otherwise. Liverpool not being in the Champions League. Maybe we'll touch on that a little bit. I do want to say I am in London. You may hear a slight difference in the audio qualities. I'm recording on the away equipment. Um, I walked by Union Chapel yesterday and I started to get emotional. That event is really, really special. And I'm so excited to see people. Saw some people at the Tollington already yesterday. I'm sure we'll see more people today. Um, tons of people tomorrow and then loads of people on Sunday. And uh, these these trips mean the world to me. I know that you know Clive is, is local and gets to go to the games quite a lot. Tim uh, is very, very hyper-local and gets to go to the, the games every single time, men's and women's. For me, this still has a little of that pilgrimage quality. And, and coming here is an emotional thing. And... Um, Getting to bring my wife to the Emirates is going to be something really special. And, you know, we already walked around the ground and we'll be going to the armory today. And just, um, yeah, it, it's moving. It is moving when I come here and it still makes me feel a, a deep sense of connection. So I'm uh, feeling very contemplative today about Arsenal fandom, the season, and and how much I love uh, everyone who's who's here joining us for this podcast. So thank you for being here and hope to see many of you Saturday. And then, uh, you know, in New York and L.A. this summer. So lots more to come. Here with me now is Clive. You can find him on Twitter at Clive PFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. All right, Clive. Um, well, let's do this. Since it just happened, let's start with the kit launch. Um, it's not really 
something that requires a lot of analysis, but you uh, you are a bit of a fashion plate. Um, I would say <laughs> you that think? You, you are respected in fashion circles. And, and so as a result, uh, let's just talk strictly in terms of the cut, the design, the usage of color and hemming, <laughs> where the stitches and seams are, the quality of the fabric. No, I'm kidding. Any high-level thoughts on the kit? Because this is the kind of content people come to the Arsenal Vision podcast for. <laughs> just make sure they got a double XL. That's all I care about. Um, mm-hmm. so, 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 yeah. Uh, I like I'll stop you for a second. Very, very funny story. I had to buy a suit. I don't own a suit. I had to buy a suit for an event. I walked in. I needed to buy it off the rack. I needed it that day. The guy says, uh, all right, what waistline are you looking for? I said, 32-inch waist. Looks at me, takes a beat and goes, why don't I just bring you the 34? Let me just bring you the 34 and we'll just see see if that gives you a little more comfort and ease of movement. And I was like, you absolute son of a... But to be fair, he was, he was right. right. Anyway... Go, go on. <laughs> no, they, they look nice, didn't they? I, I do think um, the, the kits that come out today are just going to get everyone excited. It's going to be a sunny day in London on Sunday, so there'll be lots of them out there, right? So, um, but what I'm looking forward to, Elliot, is the the away kit. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm not sure what to believe. There's a bit of a psychedelic mm. sort of yellowy, greeny type kit coming. Is that the third kit? That's the third ah, kit, right? That's With the, the like, second roadmap kit, I on think. it. That's the, the away kit? Okay. Yeah, and I think the third kit is meant to be a green and blue kit, which is a homage okay. to the... Uh, oh, yeah, Aces that looks pretty good. That's right. Yeah. That looks interesting, yeah. So, um, so yeah, let's see what happens. You're not sure what to believe, but this home kit's been well leaked, and, uh, and here so, we are. See, they have an advantage. Whatever the design of the kit... When you put it on chiseled peak athletic performance 23-year-olds, it all looks good. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so like that that little roadmap on the second kit, it's going to look great on Bakayo Saka. When you put it on me, uh, it's going to look like it's got extra miles on that road. If you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> put it on that, me that, like you're yeah. traveling yeah. around the Himalayas. Exactly. That is going to be a... That's going to be the mountain pass. Um, so yeah, I don't know. The kit launch does ha- have an exciting quality to it because it is like turning a page in a way right we'll be playing in it on sunday it's the end of the season it's turning the page to the next season it gets you thinking about the future and and um i I think it's smart in a way because i think everybody is ready to turn the page there are bits and pieces of the season that are, are still to be played for that have have something on the line they're all at the bottom of the table so i'll ask you just out of curiosity do you have any any thoughts or interest in the everton Leeds and leicester battle going on down at the bottom yeah, I, I've got a preference for <laughs> a personal preference for Leeds and and Leicester to go really, and I'd like Everton to stay. Even though it's the second year in a row they've been down there in the last game, more or less. But I'd like them to stay, um, and I'm really pleased Forrest stayed up. I know it was at our cost, but what they've done keeping the manager on board is a, is he's a decent manager. Steve Cooper has come through the England pathway and. He knows a lot of young players. He invested in Morgan Skip Whites, who was one of his players, and people laughed at him. And Kiss White's looking pretty sharp now. So I, I quite like Steve Cooper, and I hope he, you know, does well. And there are teams like Crystal Palace looking at him. So interesting to see what he does. Hope he stays because they've stayed loyal to him, just about, <laughs> shall we say? Mm. Um, but as for Leeds, they're they've let themselves down really with their management choices, etc. Hasn't worked out for them, and Leicester weren't brave enough to move Brendan Rodgers on. They didn't want to do it. There's been some, obviously, with the ownership changes, and well, the far, obviously, the main owner passed away, unfortunately, and there maybe hasn't been the same level of interest and investment ongoing and 
and found himself in a situation where they've not been able to renew their squad. And wow, it just goes to show you. Three, four years ago, mate, we couldn't stop talking about Leicester, could we? And now, mm. three, four years of bad decisions and look where you can find yourself. They have got, Elliot, one of the, and people can look it up, look at the Leicester training ground. It potentially is the best one in the whole Premier League. Wow. And to think that's going to be in the Championship is just, it could be in the Championship, it may not, yeah. um, is, is shocking really. And hey, two, three windows, you can change your future of your club. Two, three bad windows, you're in trouble. And that shows you the competitiveness of the league. You've got to get things right. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it's tough for me, right? Because I, I see everything through an Arsenal lens. I'm like, well, if Everton go down, that's a place we haven't had a lot of fun going to. So that would be, you know, that'd be a ground gone that we've we've struggled at a little bit. Yeah. I understand, though, the the size of the fan base there, the size of the supporter base, the the sort of his, historic quality of that club. And also you lose you lose a fun derby, right? The Merseyside derby is a good derby, so you'd, you'd be losing that derby. Yeah. Um, I think... It's interesting because in Leeds and Leicester, you have two of the opposite stories. Leeds, too quick to move on from a manager who was going through a difficult run of fixtures and may have been able to right the ship when the easier fixtures came around. In Leicester, a team that stuck with the manager too long uh, and didn't leave themselves time to right the ship. Um, and and the, they're two different stories and you never know which which story is right, right? Make the change quicker, make the change slower. Everybody's going to say you did it wrong uh, based on how it turns out if it doesn't turn out right. Um, I look at Leicester, maybe this is reductive, but if I have a look at Leicester and I look at the players that they have and I say that team shouldn't be in the situation they're in. It should um, be. That some of those players have to look at themselves, you know, because manager, no manager, I don't think a team with Barnes and and Madison and Tielemans. I know Tielemans missed a lot of time, but, you know, and, and Vardy even as old as he is or Dak or if you rate him or don't rate him. I don't know. I just think, I think that there's, there's talent enough in that team to stay up. Maybe the issue, unfortunately, is there's no talent at the back and that's where they've been dreadful and that's the story of their season. Yeah, they're, they're two major losses, right? They had uh, the goalkeeper, Casper Schmeichel, went to Nice. Yep. I'm not sure what happened there, but the goalkeeper they had in, I think his name, something second name Ward, well, he's just throwing them in. Right? So um, yeah. it took too long to replace him. Johnny Evans, their main sort of elder statesman centre-back, has only just come back from injury after long-term being out. A guy called Kagala Sunyungchu, I'm sure I got that name wrong, he's going to Athletic mm -hmm. Go in Madrid in the last year of his contract. He was a good player. I wanted us to buy him a few years ago. And um, he's gone off the boil. The other set of back they brought in Pais, his name is. Well, he's woot, just woot, woot face or whatever. Like yeah, he, yeah. he is dreadful. He makes Mustafi <laughs> look stable. You know what I mean? And um literally yeah. he's like stepping on hand grenades everywhere. And so you've got no stability to back end of your pitch, you know. And so you know my views, Elliot, they're, they're quite consistent. <laughs> if you're not stable, <laughs> I don't care who you are. Your forwards can't play, they can't, they're under pressure to score from always from behind. You can't control yep. the stories of games. Harvey Barnes had injuries in and out. He's dropped off a little bit. And what tends to happen when they, when players can see this going the wrong way, they sometimes, if they're allowed to, they start to internalize and start thinking about their careers, their next move, making sure they're healthy. And I think that's what's happened at Leicester from a from a distance, you know. So it's it's a real shame actually. I don't wish it on them. But um maybe a little reset is needed. And um interesting what they do next. Yeah. Um at the other end of the table, 
you've got Liverpool now officially confirmed not in the Champions League after United pounded on Chelsea, who will finish the team, uh, finish the season either in 11th or 12th with a negative goal difference. They have been dreadful, and I have really, really enjoyed it. Uh, It couldn't happen to a lovelier club, but the bigger news is Liverpool falling out of the Champions League. And while I would have embraced, not just embraced, I would have adored the story of Ten Hag not being able to keep United in the Champions League after clearly being title contenders this season, somehow, according to Gary Neville. Um, Liverpool falling out of the Champions League may ultimately be the better news for us, again, just to view everything through an Arsenal lens, as we do here at the Arsenal Vision podcast. Um, Because Manchester United are going to spend, and Manchester United have that draw, you know, I think even without Champions League, they just have the resources to attract talent without Champions League. Liverpool, first of all, we know that FSG is not going to just spend and spend and spend. There's going to be some rational relationship between their turnover and their spending. And they now no longer have the draw of Champions League. So, you know, that there may be some players that eye up and exit finally. And there may be some players that had their eye on that they that they don't secure. Now, having said that, the one thing that has really changed in the Premier League is this isn't this is no longer the era of, well, Liverpool doesn't have Champions League. I guess I'll go to Juventus or I guess I'll go to Inter Milan or I guess I'll go to Barca because what Liverpool can do that those clubs can't is pay 2x the wages, right? The yeah. Premier League wages are just going to be a decider. But do you see Liverpool being in a precarious position now in terms of they probably waited a season or two too long to start their rebuild and now they have to do it without Champions League? Yeah, I think Liverpool have been... I, I said this before, I think they've been hit, they were hit by COVID. They were very good at mm. renewing early. And mm-hmm. the, the period when they sh- would normally have renewed, no one was really moving around. And so they held on to those. There players. were no buyers, yeah. Yeah, there were no buyers. Obviously, the world was isolated, et cetera. So, so they held on to those players. They had their bumper quadruple year with a team average age 28, 29. And it didn't quite work out to what they had hoped. And then the year after, it's, it's been a challenge for them. They took too long to get going. They ended up with they ended up caught between two stools. Really, they had an older midfield and a very young midfield. The young midfield couldn't do what the older midfield did. A bit like the gap between their their best players and their developing players was just too great. And so, how they sort of assimilate those players into the team was was nice to see eighteen year old centre midfielders. But if you're dropping points, you're dropping points, right? And we all know about this with the you know, young defenders in the past that cost us points, you know. To, but you have to go through that at times. Liverpool have gone through that. So developed a couple of players in, in Curtis Jones and I'm butchering names today. He's by by Satic or something like that. His name is. He's 18, 19. Mm. Looks like a nice player. But the other players haven't quite developed on, in my opinion, Harvey Elliott, for example, haven't quite pushed on to what they thought he would do. But he's still very, very young. So there's no drama there. But what's really been a challenge been the, is their elder midfielders that really hit a wall. Young young players will come at the, at the right time, right? But Fabinho really really dropped away for me. Hen- Henderson really was very patchy with injury and form, and Thiago same again, injury and form. We all know on their day these players are are top top, but that day was not as frequent as it used to be. So um, the front end went for a, a, a change, and the back door. What's happened to Liverpool fullback areas that people have looked at it and really started to pick on the right back in particular. So they, they flipped their system around, similar to what Arsenal do, moved Trent inside and found some form. But it's too late. And I think back to the week when they played us. And I really didn't like how they targeted us. 
Do you remember that weekend when they played Chelsea in the midweek on the Tuesday and they rested half mm-hmm. the team and yep. they drew the Chelsea game. And then they had everyone fresh to give Arsenal a kick in live on TV. Okay, yep. we should, we should, I wish we'd have beaten them. But we they drew that game. So from two games, right, right they get just two points and and that those four points that they didn't really target appropriately has, has really cost them. You know, it's really cost them. So um so as far as I'm concerned, I have no sympathy because I'm I'm done with them targeting Arsenal. I, you know, I'm done with them. So I, I'm glad they're out because their managers smarter than Ten Hag. Manchester United are really attracting people through the sides of their wage bill. They're able to do that because of their massive revenues. You can look at their wage bill. Some of the numbers in that squad are just obscene. And that's why they're getting people in. I still don't trust their recruitment strategy. Ten Hag is still blind from the Dutch league. and That'll get you so far, but I don't think it's going to get you to the top of the top of the house. Let's see what they do next. Will they go big England? Will they go Kane and Mount? You know, will they go that way? And see if they can go that direction. But through all of this and all the stuff that you're reading in the papers, who knows what they can do? While they're going through ownership changes, who's going to sign off the money? Right? Who, you know, what's going to be the plan? You know, so... That's to be resolved. So when people are seeing with Ruud and Manchester United getting players, I would hold that those thoughts back a little bit. Let's just see what's really happening there. Are they able to move on the players they need to move on based on the fact that their ownership position is not clear? Yeah, well said. Well, I, I we don't need to do too much on Liverpool uh, for obvious reasons. But there's a lot of news and a lot of things that we should cover that are Arsenal-related. There's some really good comments from Mikel Arteta that I want to get to, um, but I do want to talk about the signing news. Oh, speaking of news, by the way, I do just want to uh, shout out the Arsenal Foundation and the Coaching for Life program in the Zattery Camp because uh, not only did you as a community raise 432,000 pounds, which is absolutely... Oh, my goodness. Saying it's amazing doesn't... <laughs> yeah, it doesn't go far enough. It, it, it's life-changing, literally life-changing. But... Um, and as a part, it, honestly, a direct result of, I think, your work and the the attention that it's brought to to the work that they're doing, the Arsenal Foundation and, and the Coaching for Life program won a pretty prestigious award from the Save the Children Partnership Awards that was held at the Shard the other night. They were up against companies like GSK and Unilever and Prudence Foundation, uh, Prudential. Um, you know, these are huge companies that spend millions and millions and millions and millions on <clears throat> their philanthropic purpose. And the Arsenal Foundation won the award. Um, and, and so huge congrats, by the way, to Freddie Hudson and Marie Great. King and Drew Tyler uh, and and the Arsenal Foundation, the good people that do that work. But I thought that was uh, worth bringing up because I, I think everyone listening to this played a part in the uh, attention and focus that's been put on that program. So well said, congratulations mate. to you, uh, you listeners, and to, of course, uh, the great Arsenal people doing that work. I had the chance actually to go to the hub, which is next to the armory, which is the where the Arsenal and the community program is done and just see local North London kids going in there and playing football and being coached up and uh, where they do the classrooms to do job, you know, job training and uh, interview training and and preparation for life skills and these sort of resiliency programs that are essentially the foundation of what happens in Zattery. So that was really cool to see. And um, yeah, our club is a, a beautiful place that does a lot of beautiful things that fly under the radar and they don't do them for attention. They do them to make an impact and uh, we should feel very proud of that. So Thought I'd just reference that while we're covering Arsenal news. But the big news, of course, is that Bukayo Saka has signed 
Clive, let's dive right into the most important thing, panicking that it's only a four-year deal. Um, <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm sort of not kidding. I think there's a few angles to this. The, the obvious angle that I think is sort of beneath the level of analysis we need to do at, Ars uh, at the Arsenal Vision podcast is, it's great news, hooray. Like, of course it's great news, hooray. He's an amazing player. I think the two more interesting angles, though, are the wage. Um, I think there's some people that felt... He'll give us a discount because he's an Arsenal boy. Like that never should happen, and it didn't happen. If you want your most important players to stay, you should compensate them appropriately so they'll be happy to stay. And the, the four-year duration of the contract is an angle. I mean, that means in about two seasons, we really do need to be negotiating on another deal. Um, I think it is the right move for an agent with a player of that talent level at that age to say, let's, let's do four and see where we are at that time. And if Arsenal's project is going the way we expect it to go, there should be absolutely no issue whatsoever with getting the next one done. It's incumbent upon the club to make sure that it stays the employer of choice over that period of time. But so what are some of your reactions to the news that he's staying, which is brilliant, the the wage if you want to cover it, the duration of the contract? What are the what are the thoughts percolating in your mind around um around the announcement? Yeah, so when you start talking numbers at it, and I've read some websites which highlight the, the structure of the wages and I don't know how true they are, right? So, uh, but I, I think it's, you know, I, let's give you what I've read, right? And so that's all I can do. Mm -hmm. His wages are approximately about 195. Uh, he, he took on a five million pound bonus, right? And I'm sure that's signing on fee, which is, makes perfect sense. And what that does, it keeps him within the structure nicely. Also, a four year contract, what that does, he says, in two years' time, mate, we expect you to be pushing to be our highest paid player, which currently is Gabriel Jesus. And that number is north of 250, right? So, and so he'll be back at the table in a, in a, in a couple of years' time if his progression goes as it's chosen to go. And I'm sure there are link, bonuses linked, etc. Champions League, winning the league, all the normal stuff that players get. And so, yeah, that's just my guess from reading things. I'm not, I'm not sure if he's correct, but it makes perfect sense. And that's how you bring an asset on. You know, eventually he will be, if not, you know, some people may say he is already, the absolute flagship of the club, the highest paid player in the club. Mid-20s, there you go, bang. There's your money. That's your KDB money. And that's what's coming next, right? And um, and so this is the first stage for that. And so if you have a four-year contract, what that's saying is we're coming back. We're coming back to the table. We're happy to come back to the table. So that, that's the way I want to view it. If you're a warrior like you, um, you're thinking, oh my goodness, it's just just two more years and we're back here again. <laughs> what if we don't finish the Champions League? He's going to go to Real Madrid. In the end, just got to take it almost year by year, week by week. The most important thing is, is the progression of the team. right? So none of us felt it was going to go now because we're going in the right direction. If going in the wrong direction... Yeah. If we're doing a Chelsea, did you watch them last night? Oh my goodness. If we're doing a Chelsea, then we'd all be worried, wouldn't we? That that's when loyalty is pushed beyond normal human boundaries. So um keep the direction going the right way and then these de decisions will go our way. Yeah. I, I obviously because no one can be happy for more than five minutes, the attention now turns to the likes of William Saliba, the really, really big contract that's out there remaining, I think, that has to be nailed down. Yeah. But when you've proven you can get Martinelli done and you've proven you can get Bukayo Saka done and, you know, you, you're linked with the right kind of players in the summer, you know, um, I think Odegaard is in talks to get a new contract. You know, they're, they're staying on top of this, getting players paid appropriately. I, I just look at William Sleeb and I say he seems to love uh, Gabriel Magalhaes. 
seems to have a good relationship at the club now. We were all very concerned about that, and I think understandably so leading up to this season. He's got a great chant. He's playing great football. He's at a club that'll take care of him, that's in the Champions League competing for titles, and he can make great money, I have no doubt, at Arsenal. And, you know, if I'm Saliba, I don't know that at 21-22 as a center back, I want to be going to a Real Madrid or a PSG just yet. Right? Yeah. I, I think that you have time. Of course, I think that. He may say, any chance you get to go to Real Madrid, go, because you don't know you'll get that chance again. I don't think um, Real Madrid are looking at him, are they, really? At no, the no. I, you know, I mean, the only the one fear. that's in the background is PSG. But we don't know what they are at the moment. Right? So, from a playing perspective... What's the allure of that program? Too? I mean, I, the allure is you're going to get paid you know, a King's Ransom and you get to go to your home country. But you play four important games a season, if that. And you toil yeah. in obscurity in some ways. I mean, if, especially if Messi is leaving... You know, when Neymar is leaving, and you just wonder who, maybe I'm being too um, Premier League centric and saying who cares about PSG because I'm sure French people who watch League Gun care about PSG, but yeah. it does feel like a bit of a hollow experience to, to go to versus what he's got now. Yeah, I tend to agree with you, Elliot, but, you know, he's a young Frenchman, so maybe PSG is the place, but I look at him and think, where we were last summer with him. Remember, do you remember the conversation? I, I remember being at Union Chapel, actually, and talking about mm, him. Yep. And saying, I'm worried about him. You know, the words I used was, time kills deals. We weren't sure if he's going to come back, what's going to happen. And then he comes in, and he comes through preseason, and we all our eyes just get wide, didn't they? <laughs> like, oh my goodness, how real is this? And then it just continues. And you know, we win 12 out of the first 14 games, and he's just strolling through all of them. And we, for me, yep. transformational to how we feel about watching our team, how secure we feel, how stable we feel. Back to that word again. How stable we feel watching the team. You have stability. You have so much. You have so much. And he he brings that stability just by his presence. And um, So, yeah, I look at him and think, wow, you've got a real chance at Arsenal to be a Premier League real great player. But also... You know, who's to know what his true life ambitions are, right? But I can't think of a better place for him at the moment. I really can't. Style of play, how we how we really give him accountability in our style of play. We're on the ball and off the ball, you know. He's got his deep line position where he, he sweeps, which suits him perfectly. Sometimes players need to make sure they pick the right team for their style. And I'm not sure if we've morphed into him or he's morphed perfect for us, but it's a perfect fit. And... um Boy, did we miss him towards the last, last 10 games of the season. Yeah. Yeah, well, it is <clears throat> it is great news back to, to Bukayo that, that he's sticking around. And I, I think, you know, it, it's weird as I, I think I mature. Maybe I'm not maturing. People might say, I haven't seen the maturity. Fair enough. But like, as I think I mature, <laughs> I am able to balance the the wanting Arsenal to be good with wanting to love Arsenal. Right. And yep. and there are some people and I I by the way, I would never criticize this or argue with this, who would say, I don't care how we win, just that we win. And if we win with eleven players I hate, I will love them. There's no hating winning. And like there probably is some truth to that. But if we can do a little bit of both, then that's ideal. And the fact is I love Bukayo Saka. He feels like he is connected to the roots of the club and what the club stands for. He's been there, you know, since he's a little kid. I want to win with him. And him staying felt so important because he's fundamental to this hashtag project. He's fundamental 
to how we feel about this. And by the way, I mean, like Reese Nelson signing too. I can understand why the club's doing that because we don't lose him for free. Reese Nelson doing that, I think, shows the power that clubs have over their academy kids. They want to make it at the place they were at the academy. It is leverage. And to be fair, there just may not be a lot of other clubs out there. that Like, we can pay a backup player what Bayer Leverkusen pays maybe three starters or one starter or no starters, you know? So, like, um, I picked Bayer Leverkusen out of a hat, by the way, just a a random selection there. But but so, Clive, I mean, these players staying, these academy players staying at the club – there is a sense of connection. I mean, we're losing a leader in, in uh, Granite Shaka. Uh, you know, players like Nelson and Saka staying, you keep some of that DNA. You keep some of what it means to be Arsenal and keep people focused on caring about the club so that you don't wind up with a dressing room full of mercenaries. And by the way, that doesn't mean players who weren't in the academy can't love the club. Like, I think Gabriel Martinelli gets Arsenal and loves Arsenal. But, you know, how how important is that, keeping that through line of, of Arsenal DNA? I know that is such a cliche, but it's what we use. Uh, at the club long term and part of this this project yeah it is important but they've got to be good enough you know if if Reese Nelson can't trap the ball and can't run with speed then uh, I'm sorry I don't care where he's played for as a, as a kid he's not going to work for us because we're quite <laughs> because we want to win right we want to want to push on and if we're our eyes are telling us that Reese Nelson has really pushed on this year the, you know and he's of he's of good character and trains really hard, and he seems to be really focused on these, improving his physicality, improving his speed, improving his involvement. And I think he's become more confident to receive the ball. I always felt he, he lacked a little bit of confidence in the adults' game. When you watch him in the youth football, and I have seen him live in youth football, I'm telling you, mate, he is like incredible. And you get to men's football, he's a little bit more deferent. You know, so but this year, particularly mm. some of the games we were chasing. The last game I saw him was, I think, Southampton. He came on that pitch with a mission. You know, he looked exceptional and similar to Bournemouth had it. Very similar type impact in the Bournemouth game, which he was at. He he had a you know, that's the first time we really saw it. He had a, he had like a really strong performance that day. The Nottingham Forest game. What's been a challenge for for Nelson has been maybe positional stability and. Really, injury. Sometimes injuries came at a time when FA Cups were about to start, or you know, or mm-hmm. things like that. Really bad times when the rotation was needed. Then he would come out injured, you know, big thigh Europa explosions, you know, six weekers, you know, yeah, you yeah. know, big moments where he's he's dropped about nine or ten appearances there, and so, but obviously, the, in the end, the club see him every single day and. His character seems to be the thing, and I think that's the that's the big thing. You know, having good people in dressing it does mean something. It really does. But you know, if you look at our team right now, mate, we've got the two twenty-one year olds in Martinelli and and Saka who stretch the team and can really challenge you with speed. And we don't really have anybody else. So Reese Nelson's going to get time. I think he needs to settle potentially. I, I, if I was the club, I would work on two roles for him. I'd work on left-sided Martinelli sort of rotation option. And I'd also work, you know, we drop into a back five. I'd like to see him use, right, you know, we keep Saka on as right wing back. You need to stop doing that. Use Reese Nelson to play that right wing back type role where we drop into a back five late in games. He has the speed, he has defensive awareness, he's on his right foot. Why are we running out our superstar, you know, in, in a back five scenario on his wrong foot? 
those, just find roles to these guys so they can be absolutely plugged and played at the right time. That's what I would do with him rather than moving him around too much. I'll just keep him in those two roles, those two scenarios, and um, see what he can produce. Yeah. I, I think we saw more sort of bombastic individual skill from him as the season wore on. I really, mm. I, I think you hit the nail on the head. My biggest criticism of Reese Nelson in prior appearances, the last couple of seasons when we've seen him, he played within himself. He very much tried to show he can be a structure guy, safe pass, lateral pass, three-yard pass, who's next to me, receive it and give it, receive it and give it, keep the ball moving, don't make a mistake, be in position. That's all well and good. It's not good enough to keep you at Arsenal. This season, we saw him take on a man, beat a man, Take get this. in the box, cut yeah. back, shot, you know, shift and shoot, win a game, um, which I will remember it forever and love him for forever. Uh, it was a beautiful cuddle that we had after that. So, yeah, I, <laughs> I would say that um, for me, seeing a little bit more of that explosive top end skill from him is, has has been great. I I don't think he's always produced the most consistent performances and we've never seen him, you know, play 90 for Arsenal. There's still steps he can go up. I have questions about how much he'll get to play next season. I think it's all well and good to like Reese Nelson, much like Mikel liked Eddie and Kedia. But even when it was clear we needed Eddie and Kedia at times, like a, a season ago, he, he didn't get on the pitch until he was forced onto the pitch. Um, with champions league next season, Minutes are going to be hard to come by for the people on the fringes of the squad. So we'll see what the plan is. Yeah, Reece, well, let's wait I'm, and see what the I'm draw looks like. Yeah. Because not every Champions League game is Real well, Madrid, right? So well, it, there's an update on that because it looks like we are now going to be in pot two due to Juventus's points deduction. So yeah. we did get a points deduction this season that helped us, just not the one we were hoping for. We got it from Juventus. They fall out of a Champions League place. We move into pot two, which suddenly means the having Bayern and Madrid both in our group thing, that that looks like it's gone. It's now going to probably be yeah. one giant and two two uh, more minnow-y type teams to the extent that there are minnows in the Champions League at all. Um, it is pretty funny that uh, someone posted the Europa League participants for next season, the group stage participants, and their UEFA coefficient. And Liverpool coefficient is like 132, and the next is like 43. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> They're yeah. just such a fish out of water over there. But, uh, you know, good for them. Um, so, yeah, so we'll see We'll see how that goes. I want to talk uh, Mikel Arteta comments because I thought he made some really, really interesting comments. Um, but one really, really interesting thing is that you can take care of your body by taking AG1 from Athletic Greens. That's right. Athletic Greens, they make AG1, and it is 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole foods, source superfoods, ad superfoods adaptogens, probiotics. Um, like, here's the thing. If I gave you a jar and I said this jar is filled with sugar, that's all that's in it, um, and it's got some vitamin C and vitamin D, would you eat it? You wouldn't eat it? You wouldn't just scoop sugar in your mouth. To be fair, I would probably scoop sugar into my mouth. I have a bit of a sweet tooth. But like, just saying you took a vitamin doesn't mean you took a vitamin. If the main ingredients of the vitamin are sugar, that's not a vitamin. And what is a vitamin even doing for you? Most of it, yeah, look, we're going to say the word pee. I just want you to know that's coming. You just pee it out. You need whole food sourced superfoods. You need the adaptogens and the probiotics, the things that get into your body that make your gut healthier. You need vitamins in a delivery system that can actually uh, get into your body and do the good things that they're supposed to do. So whether it's for energy, recovery, this is athlete uh Athlete designed, so recovery uh, is a big part of what it's there for. I have been able to get a little bit of uh, less coffee into my uh, habits now, which is important, he says, trying to think of English. 
I would just say that this is something you should give it a try. Um, and I think you will see the impact that it makes. And it's uh, reasonably priced. It's highly reviewed. It's a philanthropic organization. If a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com slash vision. Don't come to me on Twitter. Say, what's, what's the promo code for Athletic? It's athleticgreens.com slash vision. Check it out. Okay. Now, I think it is very important for you to know that if you are starting an online business, the place to start an online business is Shopify. Look, I have done this. I have started online businesses on Shopify. And the, the, the thing that I think people don't realize, right? They start an online business. They're like, oh, I'll just make this really crappy website that looks like it was put together by seven-year-olds and I'll start selling my product. Well, when someone has to give a credit card and put in their inf payment information, even if they really want your art or your clothes or your mug or whatever it is, if the website doesn't look legit, they're not going to want to put in that information and, and, and pay. What Shopify does so brilliantly is they create these incredibly professional-looking um, e-commerce sites. And in fact, what would surprise you is there are billion-dollar businesses that use Shopify for their e-commerce site. You just don't know it. It is really the e-commerce backbone of the internet. Um, they can let you sell on Facebook and Instagram and TikTok and you know all of the different social media sites so you can build on Shopify, but then sell on these other platforms. They'll manage inventory for you. They'll even drop ship for you. Um, if you don't have inventory, they'll take care of tax stuff. So you can just focus on what you do best, which is designing cool art or cool merchandise or you know baked goods or whatever the case may be. So you can do this. You can start your business by uh, signing up for a $1 per month trial at shopify.com slash Arsenal Vision, all lowercase. Didn't know that was a thing on the internet. Didn't know that mattered, but it says it right here. So it's got to be a thing. Go to Shopify.com slash Arsenal Vision to take your business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash Arsenal Vision. Last, but certainly not least, this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is what it sounds like. It's better help. It's, it's not online therapy. It's therapy. It just happens to be online. It is a way to get more access to mental health. Health is a way to get more access to therapy, to be partnered with someone that works well for you. And if not, then change to someone that does work well for you to do it camera on or camera off if you're feeling shy, if you're feeling like you'd like, um, you know, just to have that little extra level of comfort. You don't have to get in the car and drive to an office and set aside that time that way. Better help is about managing your, your mental health in a regulated, regular way and thinking of it just as part of regular life, the same way you think about exercise, the same way you think about eating right. So um, I just think it is something everyone should do. As someone who has done therapy, who thinks of therapy as a regular part of life, I, I cannot recommend it highly enough. That is why I am the uh, well-adjusted individual that you hear on this podcast week to week. Discover your potential with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash vision today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, betterhelp.com slash vision. Clive, does that know that? Indeed. Nailed it. Okay. <clears throat> now, Mikel Arteta has been talking, Clive. And when Mikel Arteta talks, I listen. I think Mikel Arteta's interview ahead of this final game against Wolves had a lot of really good nuggets in it. Um, and I want to go through some of them one at a time because I think that they are important. <clears throat> you know, we have, I think we as fans sometimes really, really, really try to justify things. And as a result, we wind up gatekeeping emotion. For example, this has been a brilliant season. That can also mean it's a disappointing season in some ways. If you're on top of the league for as long as we are and you don't win it, disappointment is natural. But you can be disappointed and still feel that progress was made this season. Well, Mikel Arteta feels the same way. He says, if I look at it that way, 
There are a lot of positives to take from the season, probably more than was expected with the capacity, ability, and resources the team had. But as well, we spent 248 days on top of the Premier League, and at the end, we didn't have enough or show enough to win it. Um, I'm going to throw in another few quotes at you that I think are really important and um, show great self-awareness. But that really is the crux of it, right? Everything he said in that quote, I think, sums up the season. What we did with the resources we have, with where we are in the project, is really incredible progress. But 248 days on top of the Premier League, and we didn't win it, and we didn't have enough or show enough to win it. And that, that is a disappointment. So I, I think both of those things are in complete balance, and I think he he really laid it out brilliantly there. Yeah, I can't feel any differently, really. I suppose... If you want to take those 248 days and then look at the previous history and then feel angry about it, then that's that's your one. I, I can't mm. feel angry about it because despite us trying to analyze and try to project and live in the horizon, I know I try to for certain and, and make intelligent guesses. None of us had us finishing a big top of table for 200 plus days at the start of the season in our preseason previews. None of us had any of this happening, you know. So, um, so when it does happen, yeah, you're entitled to get excited. You're entitled to go wherever you want to go. Um, I feel for me, as long as we have clarity about the next things we have to do, I think that's the most important thing. And when you go through something emotional like this, you can't forget the requirements for the next steps because it's clear, it's obvious, because you feel it, you see it. You know, some of the things that went wrong are quite dramatic to us. You know, the dispossessions, the the bad passes, the, the, the dropping of leads. But, you know, in the end, if you're really, really honest, you look at league table and I would look at goal difference and little things like that. And Elliot, I'm sure you've got far greater metrics than me when it comes to um, analysing the league. But the first thing I go to when I'm, I look at league table, just look at it. Goals for, goals against. Just look at it. It's telling you where you need to where you need to go. There's one anomaly in that league table. It's probably Manchester United. The way they have had so many 1-0 mm-hmm. wins have maximised what they've had. And Liverpool could feel a little bit you know, a little bit sad about that, but that's that's up to them to sort out. But for us, we've achieved what I think is above par, above par. But now you've opened up the window of expectations and we're all on our toes now, aren't we? We really are about the next things that we do. And we like this feeling. We like this feeling that's around the club. We like it. We like feeling... We like the feeling of supporting a team that wins more than it loses. And we like this. We don't want to throw it away. So we're, we're watching everyone got to make the next movement to make sure we have this feeling again and continue to have it. But next time, when it gets to the, the expectation months, the last 10 weeks of the season, we're going to be really keenly watching how that goes for the third year next year. I think that's going to be the key... Worry be Elliot for you in particular. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <clears throat> it is absolutely true that we had a phenomenal season with massive uh high moments, that we overachieved preseason expectations, and that we are further ahead in our progress in this project than we expected to be at this point. And also true <clears throat> that we put ourselves in a position where winning the league became a very reasonable expectation. It became reasonable to expect it. And we didn't do it. And so disappointment is natural. And I'm with you. I think you said it right. 
feeling disappointed is not only okay, I think it'd be weird not to be disappointed at all. <laughs> like, we led the league for 248 days. We, you know, if you're not disappointed, like, do you want to win the league? Because I really want to win the league. Anger doesn't make a lot of sense to me because in in final adjudication, when I look at what losing Saliba did to us, you know, and some of the other things that happened, I'm I'm not sure... I'm not sure that ultimately we had enough in the squad. You weren't ready yet. Because let, let's say, you know, you're like, well, he could have gone to Kivior sooner. Okay, let's say he goes to Kivior sooner and we we wind up winning both the West Ham and the Southampton games. We still don't win the league, right? So so it, it, what it would have taken to win the league, I think, is a leap that we couldn't make with the group we had. Now, the irony is, here's what I think is really interesting. If the Manchester City game at the Etihad hadn't been rearranged, I think we give them a better game on the original date of that game because at the time they were not yet at this level and we were probably at our highest level of the season or thereabouts. So had the game at the Etihad stayed in its original time, because here's the thing. So this it's, it almost seems unfathomable because now we feel like we've really fallen away. If we beat City twice instead of the other way around, we're coasting to be champions on the final day. The reality is, if you want to be champions over City, what you need to do is simple. You don't have to win every single game. You have to win those games, or at least one of those games. You've got to beat them. If we had beaten City twice instead of the other way around, we are champions on Sunday. Um, it, we're already champions, I think. We'd already have, have it confirmed. Yeah. Because we'd be 12 points better off versus them, and they only have an eight-point... What is it? Are they eight points clear of us right now, I think? So, so yeah, we'd be champions already confirmed. And, and we think we think of this season as having collapsed, and yet we are two results against City away from being champions. And so to be champions, you have to beat the champions, and, and that leads me to uh, another series of Mikel quotes that we can cover. When you are 2-0 up at Anfield and you draw the game in the 90th minute, and then you go to West Ham and you're 2-0 up after 20 minutes and join complete domination and miss a penalty, you have to win that game. Then you have Southampton and you basically give them two goals and you have to climb a mountain. We could have won it at the end, but drew 3-3, so the fourth game against City becomes crucial. To be fair, they were much better than us. They raised the level like they did against Real Madrid the other day, and when they play at that level, it's like, wow, we could not reach it. That psychologically paid a big price on the team. Looking back, even if we'd won at Anfield and against West Ham and Southampton, we could still have finished second. In the end, you have to beat them when you go toe-to-toe with them because that's 12 points. And he's absolutely right, and we couldn't go to that level but I think he he says something in here that's really interesting. When he talks about you have to win that game against West Ham, you have to win against Southampton, he says something in the end that I think is really interesting. He says, so the fourth game against City becomes crucial. And this is an angle we haven't really covered necessarily, Clive, which is going into the City game. If you remember when we were podcasting like post-Liverpool, we were like, well, you know what? We'll beat West Ham, we'll beat Southampton, and we'll go yeah. to City. Yeah, we'll have games in hand, but we'll go to City with a nine-point cushion, and they'll yeah. really have to win it if they want to put the pressure on us. And I do think that was the psychological edge we lacked, because instead of going into the City game, nine points clear with a couple games in hand, and them feeling like, this is it. If we don't win this, we're not going to be champions. We went to City needing to win to keep our title hopes alive, and that really switched the psychology of that game, and I think made it a much tougher mountain to climb for us, you know? Yeah, it's, the draws felt like defeats, didn't they? And um, it leading into to the City game. And, yeah. you know, 
the, the Southampton game was a bad one, Elliot. You know that that I was at that one. It it wasn't great, mate. And um, that's when you realised. That's when I first saw the pressure myself directly. Really have an impact. You can't play the bottom team when you're top of the league and, and draw three all at home. I don't care. You can't dress that one up, mate. You can't dress it up. You know. And um, I think going to City, I felt City didn't just want to beat us. I, I thought they wanted to beat us up. I think they wanted to impose themselves on us. I think they wanted to physically challenge us. There was lots of pushing fights. You know, Jack Grease was pushing himself around. They wanted us to feel them, to feel their presence, you know, and not just on the playing side, but physically realise that they're at a different level. They wanted to psychologically affect us for later in the in the season. And and it worked. You know, we we refound ourselves at Newcastle special circumstances. And Chelsea, just because they're they're rubbish at the moment, but the psychological impact of that City game was significant. And and if I'm honest with you, I remember we did an instant reaction, and I, and I said to you, you asked me what my headline was, and I said, "We are the second best team," and that's it. You know, I just couldn't yep. see past it. And I and you, I said to you, I, I want to win when we're the best. And you said, Pete, I don't mind winning whatever we win. And you were right, of course. <laughs> you were right, absolutely. They ought to chuck it all in. Then obviously I'll take the win, right? So, um, But really what I'm saying to you is I want us to win when we're the best. And we're not quite the best yet. But we're working towards it. Right? And I think, I think I've accepted that. It doesn't mean that um, I don't want to get better. I'm happy with my lot. But you can't look at the football and say to yourself, we're the best team. You can question how they've done it. You can do what you can go where you want to go. We're not the best team yet, but not we yet. are really working towards it. We really are, you know, with our age profile, the management approach, the alignment within the club end to end about where we're going directionally. And look around some of these clubs that we're watching and that are not getting as much scrutiny as we're getting for being at the top so long. I mean, you know, teams like Chelsea and Spurs, I mean, why are they not getting absolutely pilloried for what they've done? You know, why? And, you know, it's, it's, I find it, I find it quite complex. and So we just keep going where we got to go. But one thing I will say, let's not assume that this season is just going to overlay onto next season. This season was a unique season. There was a, there was a big gap in the middle of it. And I'm still not sure about our resiliency when it really counts. Our ability to have three games a week, continuously week after week after week, and produce the exhilaration that we produced this year. I can see, we'll get into this over the summer earlier, but I, there, there could be some style changes here about how we approach games. You know, the the efficiency, the energy we put into games. We can't sustain the Bournemouths and the Fulhams, you know, and the Villas. That's, that's, that's too energy sapping. It's too emotional. I love them, by the way, <laughs> but it's too emotional. Yeah. You know, the Man United, it's just too, Man United game was just like a World Cup final. You know, walk around the stadium afterwards. Mm. It's it's emotional, it's great, but we need to be more comfortable and have more comfortable moments. It, it won't be the same next season. Don't assume. We, we're going to have to find our way and may have to find a slightly different way. Yeah, I, I would say that the, the thing that I, I will take from this season, though, is that I don't think the 248 days were a mirage. I don't think this was a case of we were outperforming, you know, we were overperforming who we really were, and then we fell back to our, who we really are. I don't agree with that at all. I'm not saying you're saying that, by the way. I think mm. there's some people that look at it that way. And if, first of all, if you like data, if you want to look at the XG and the XG allowed and the goals for and the goals against and the, the 
expected goal difference and the field tilt and the shots total and shot differential, anything you want to look at. During the majority of the season when we led the table, we were at a level that is essentially equates to what a title-winning team would be at. Um, Now, interestingly, we were always, metrics-wise, maybe just a titch behind City, but we were at title-winning level with those metrics. Those metrics dramatically fell off uh, post-Interlal and, and when Saliba went down and I think we lost party a little bit after the Interlal and I think, you know, maybe Bukayo Saka and that would certainly be a conversation for the summer and going into preseason which is managing the the duration of the season maybe a little better. Yeah, You know, were, were minutes put into Bukayo's legs that didn't need to be? Were minutes put into other players' legs that didn't need to be? Can we build a squad where we can trust those other players not in the last five minutes of a 3-0 but in the first minutes at home against a Southampton? Can we start with a rotated squad so that there's more freshness? Those are questions for next season. Um, you know, as as a final thought here, let's just quickly touch on Sunday. I, I love the final day of the season at home, whatever the you know, whatever the weather. Uh, yeah. These streets are our own. Um, <laughs> like, I, I, I love the lap of appreciation and, and clapping the players and seeing their kids run onto the pitch and try to kick the ball in the net. And I love being with everybody and just sort of feeling like you get to give the season a send off. Cause we will miss the football when it goes. Thankfully uh, we can endlessly speculate about rumors of transfer targets, which is the real season. I think we all know that's the real football, um, but I, I don't think wolves have any motivation. I think we have decent motivation. I think the one thing I, I really hope we don't do is shit the bet on Sunday because sending everybody off with a nice little memory of our football this summer would would be a beautiful thing. I don't. It clearly doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to either team playing. But you have any thoughts just on the final day? What you'd like to see? And and you know, does the game matter to you? Well, what what are the things you're thinking about going into Sunday? Yeah, I hope we get the win because you know, last time I was there, I feel for Brighton, and uh, it was a really nice day ruined by the football. You know, and uh, I hope we get the win for people that are going. A lot of people are probably coming from far away, or we know they are, <laughs> including yourself, right? And I, I hope they get the win. But also, I don't want the season to end up like a mirage that um, people are thinking you know, that there's been such unity and everything's so nice. And and then suddenly you end up with a few defeats on the bounce, you know, two home defeats on the bounce. You, you, you don't want that. The football does matter. And everything about this season for me, and I've said this before, and I've said this in many different places. It's been my favourite season, and and for me, the football is is the results are an outcome, uh, and I don't mean to sound like soft factor, Clive, but you know I'm going to say it. It's the people you share it with along the way, right? It's your football experience that makes you feel good or bad. The football itself is really important. It's a really important input in that. But if you can share share the ups and downs with uh, with people like you, that people that want to support their club and I, I've met so many people this season and also doing a podcast with you guys the whole experience of Arsenal has been the best for me ever in my whole life you know and when the moment comes to share it with everybody when we do win something that we really really treasure it can feel way bigger for me and I was in the stadium when we won the Invincibles I was in that stadium I was in Copenhagen. I was there when we won in '98. I was there when we won in 2002. I've seen I've seen a fair bit, right? So, however, if we'd have won this year, it would have been the best of all. 
it would have been because I think watching Arsenal, the whole experience, the internet, the globality of the club, the diverseness of the club, the whole one club mentality has been the best it's ever been. And so if you win on top of that, mate, it's it's going to be beautiful. Mm. Well, I think um, we should skip the the season summaries or the summer prediction discussion right now. We're going to have a lot of that. A couple of things that we do at the end of every season, in case you haven't been here <clears throat> with us for previous seasons, we will revisit our preseason predictions, uh, which is always fun. We will go through a, a summary of player performances. We'll, we'll do you know sort of high moments, low moments, um, things of that nature. We'll look ahead to the summer. Over on the Patreon, what we're going to do this summer that I think will be a lot of fun is every week we'll feature a player this season and review their season, sort of an exit interview type thing for their season, how they performed, where they need to work, wh what their role is for next season. So we'll be doing that every week. We'll be doing scouting videos for players we're linked with, uh, among other things. So we hope you'll join us over there. But if not, we're just happy to have you over here as ever. Going to leave it there. Uh, I want to get down to the armory and buy the new kit get my money into the bank uh, of Arsenal so that they can go out and buy players this summer. I know without me buying the kit, they would be un unable to do that. So I need to make sure I, uh, I contribute to our transfer kitty. And I hope to see a lot of people at the Tollington on Sunday. We'll definitely be there before and after the match and at Union Chapel on Saturday. So, Clive, I will be seeing you tonight for dinner. As always, I will be looking forward to it. And uh, Clive's on Twitter, Clive PFC. Thank you very much. <laughs> thank you very much. Yeah, and, uh, I'll see life. you there on Sunday in your new kit. Yes, most most definitely. Uh, and uh, my name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. Thanks, everybody. Um, I hope you enjoy the the season wrapping up and, and we look ahead to, to bigger and better things. Uh, certainly, we are on the right trajectory as opposed to the many, many shittier clubs that are on the wrong trajectory. And we should be thankful for that. We love you. And we will talk to you after Arsenal 10. Wolves, no. Know.